All right, so we are back in a whole new avenue, in a whole new realm. We are now live on Twitch going forward, and we are here to talk about the legend of Vox Machina, the newest and greatest animated show that Amazon has to offer right now. Chris, what are your thoughts on this going in? I'm, I'm just going to say it's very fitting that we are doing our first ever Twitch broadcast on a show that literally originated as a Twitch live stream back in the day. Guys, if you don't know, this is the Talking TV podcast. This is our first venture into Twitch. It's amazing to be here this morning, and I cannot believe how this lined up with the topic and the day that this is all happening on. So, yeah, man, I'm pumped. I'm excited to be on Twitch. Yeah, it's, it's pretty crazy, to say the least. All of that and more, stay tuned. All right, we're back in the whole new groove, whole new venture, whole new avenue after we took a week off for the Super Bowl. Understandably so. There was a gangbuster of trailers that were released for that. But this is our first official venture on Twitch. We've been talking about this for a while as far as pursuing it for like a new long-form venture. We tried the whole YouTube thing. It worked great for us during the pandemic. Once things started to get out of the pandemic, people started to adjust to real life again. People just didn't have the time to watch full-on live streams on YouTube, you know, once, twice, three times a week that we were doing it beforehand. So now we're going to try this out. We're going to see how it goes. Chris, uh, you want to you talk? talk to the, the to the twitch streamers you know let them let them know a little bit about ourselves let them know a little bit who we are what we're trying to do here yeah i'd love to so good morning everyone this is the talking tv podcast you can see right below me a link to our instagram at official talking tv podcast we're also on facebook and twitter at the talking tv podcast that's talking no g and basically we are a show that loves to dissect movies and film and television in a way that is uh, kind of different than the um I, i'd say the status quo of reviews we, we typically tend to do more long form in-depth analysis we also aren't bought and sold by all the major companies that create these products sometimes we agree and sometimes we really really love what they're doing uh, albeit one spider-man no way home we were gushing the same as everyone else but we're also not gonna like bow down and you know sort of kiss the ring with movies that we find subpar like one marvel eternal so that's that's kind of what we do um we're both film school kids we come from a film school background we 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 bring that analysis to our podcast and our show and really the only reason we're here on twitch is as far as i know and if critical role has done anything to prove it it's long-form content can thrive on twitch and and we we found that during the pandemic, like Dom said, it was great on YouTube. People had the time to sit down and watch a couple of knuckleheads talk about, you know, all the Mission Impossibles or whatever for like nine hours out of their day. And that was fine and dandy, right? We were all on lockdown. But then as the world started to open up again, we noticed that our audience was coming when they could and they're still loyal and we still love all of them. And we hope they'll continue to watch our content in, in the way that we give it. Cause we're still doing YouTube videos. It's just more shorter form reactionary sh- first time watch videos and shorts over there. So we hope that, that that audience will continue to watch over there, but we hope they'll come over here and join you guys on Twitch because we're just trying to work smarter, not harder. Exactly. And uh, that, that's really, that's really why we're here. You know, we heard rumor has it, this is the place for long form content. So we're going to try it out. We're going to try it out. Yes, yeah. absolutely. So is that a good enough job done? I think so. I think so. Yeah. And like I said, for all the audio listeners, you know, the, again, the podcast is not going away. It's still going to be in the same, you know, place, form, audio, uh, Spotify. And where is that for our Twitch Anchor. friends if they wanted to take us on the road? Yeah. So we're on Anchor, which is a free distribution service that puts us out automatically on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Radio Public, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, basically pretty much any place that you can listen to podcasts. I think they added a few new ones in the last couple of months. I really haven't been keeping track. But for all the audio listeners who are like, well, we've been listening to this podcast for months. We already know about all that. Well, guess what? We're on a new avenue. So, get used to it you know we don't record multiple streams of this but chris let's get into this topic because again like you said this is a this is a show that was recommended to me by a couple different people and once i saw that it was based off an original critical role dnd campaign i'm like oh okay so i got i gotta throw this chris's way you know like this is chris's bread and butter right here you know what i told I, I reached out to you i'm like chris have you heard anything about this amazon legend of vox machina show and what was your response to me when i asked you that i i hadn't honestly i've just been so encumbered and just swamped with life and already watching what's on the docket for us so far that i just i, I lost you know because i forgot the name of the um the, the group you know vox machina and i forgot that critical role is doing this because they announced it like 2018 or something i remember yeah, hearing the announcement and then and then they did do a good job of keeping up with it 
I just didn't do a good job as a fan of keeping up with them. Uh, so I was really shocked. But then as soon as you told me, I was like, oh, hell yeah. I pretty much like dropped everything I was doing that night. I like think I, I had plans just to unwind after a little bit of homework and stuff. And I was like, all right, I'll probably play a little video game, just catch up on that. But I was like, no, never mind. I got to watch this. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, my old thing was I was just chilling with some friends, you know, as I do, a couple friends that I hadn't seen in a long time. And I had seen it pop up on Amazon. You know, like I said, Amazon, my whole stance about Amazon and, and like kind of their place in the streaming wars is you never, ever watch an Amazon show until everyone is watching an Amazon show. And, you know, it's like the boys, <laughs> <laughs> it's the boys, Invincible. They had like one other show that people are watching. You know, they have their critical roles. You know, they have their Marvelous Mrs. Maisels and what have you. But they, they, they they're, Amazon is not pumping out content consistently the way that all these other streamers are because again like like look who owns them you know they they don't have to you know they, they put out stuff because they want to you know again jeff bezos literally bought the expanse from sci-fi because it was his favorite show you know like they, they are not at all concerned quite similar to apple in a strange way although i think apple's starting to have a little bit of a turnaround on that this year they are not at all concerned with putting out this massive like 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 amount of content at any given time. So I saw the the promos, the clips for the show. I'm like, oh, this actually seems like kind of interesting. You know, it's kind of in the same animation vein as Invincible. You know, it seems to be like super bloody and everything. It's like a fantasy-based show. But again, Chris, like, like we constantly f find as a common problem that we have now, it's that I'm like, I, I, when am I going to watch it? You know, and I was chilling with my friends. It just happened to be the weekend that it came out. And they were like, oh man, if you watch this box marketing show, I'm like, I'm going to at a certain point. And they're like, now nah, we're putting it on now. And I watched the first episode. I'm like, okay, I'm sold. I am absolutely sold. I'm like, I don't know what Amazon is doing in their animation department, but whatever they are doing, they are making all the right moves because this show, again, it's like, you, you just get those shows. Like, you know, we just wrapped up Peacemaker. I propose that we just wrapped up Book of Boba Fett, which is like literally could have been, could not have been more the polar opposite. Please that, stop bringing just, that show up. It's uh, like a I know, fever I know, dream. I know, I know, I know. It's awful. But um, <laughs> <laughs> I can't. I, it's like literally it worse reminds, of the year. It reminds me of an experience that I was having with my friends last night where they were where they brought up a traumatic experience. And I'm like, why? Why would you make me relive that? So I'm Yeah, exactly. Dude. <laughs> but. What I was going to say is that I'm like, this show, you get those shows that just check off all the boxes in your mind. I'm like, okay, ensemble cast, check. Bunch of humor, check. Complete fantasy realm, check. They all have tragic backstories, check. Uber violent, check. Also hilariously funny, check. And it's just everything works about the show. And that was just the show in and of itself. And I love it when these streamers can do this, when they can just put out a show that is mired in this like giant backstory. I know nothing about the backstory and I can still watch it and just enjoy it for as it is, you know? So maybe you could speak a little bit more to that as far as that goes, you know, as far as the inception of the show before we get into our overall thoughts, you know? Because again, I, I really enjoyed the show for what it is, but this show has like a whole history, like within the critical world, within the critical world, world within the Dungeons and Dragons world. Again, I'm fairly new to the world of Dungeons and Dragons. You're a little bit more of an experienced pro. You've been doing this for several years now. So please explain the inception of this, uh, of this campaign to where it is now as the animated Amazon show. Sure, yeah. So basically, the show is adapted from a campaign run right here on Twitch, originated right here on Twitch by a bunch of voice actors who came together and they just decided very intuitively and cleverly, really, to call themselves Critical Role. Because what is a critical role? A critical role is when you, in D&D, &D, take the 20-sided dice and roll something called a natural 20. A natural 20 is pretty much like God mode. You want to do something insane. You want to jump over a 7,000-foot ledge, shoot three arrows right down, and potentially have those arrows pierce right through the heart of the goblin because you're going to hit that perfect 36.7 degree angle. You better roll a 20. Because if you don't roll a critical roll, not only are you not going to hit that exact insane shot, you might not stick the landing. You might fall to your death jumping this canyon. You know, it's like that crazy. So it's so genius that they named it Critical Roll. They took the best D&D &D name right out the gates. No one else has the best. That, that's the best pun-induced D&D &D name. Nothing will be better. And they're, they're first. You know, that's that's what happens when you're first. You get to be the best sometimes. First isn't always the best, but in their case, I think it is. Because what these guys did, man, they... I think helped the just chatting section of Twitch really become something. Uh, Twitch was for a long time. It started off as like Justin.tv, which is like early days of the internet. I think we're talking like 2007, 2008. So the, the, the second generation of internet users, you know, those people who have about 10 years on us, Dom, they probably grew up like watching people play video games on Justin TV. Way more niche, not as large. Um, I actually watched like a documentary. There's actually a really cool documentary about this on YouTube by a, a channel called No Clip. They do video game documentaries. Shouting them out because they, uh, you know, they're pretty cool. They don't take advertisers or anything. They just 
they're they're strictly for the love. So uh, go and go and check out No Clip. It's actually a really cool, like non for profit type of video game documentary thing. They're just funded by their patrons, and they did a whole documentary about Justin TV, its origins, and so you can actually learn a lot about it there. But there's always been a market for people watching other people play games, and I understand that as a gamer because sometimes you'll just come home and you're like, "Man, I am so exhausted from work, school, life, whatever. I want to play a game right now, but like." I'm still going to be thinking if I'm playing a game. And of course, we know a good show, a good movie, a good uh, anything you consume, entertainment will stimulate your brain and make you think. But there is something when you're using like motor skills and reflux skills to like, you know, react to things happening on screen as I made a controller thing as our little overlay blocked my hand there. But uh, so it's like sometimes you don't want to like do that level of thought after you get home. And I think that's kind of why this market exists a little bit where people are like, I would love a D&D group to go and play with right now. But all I want to do when I get home on a Tuesday night is just sit in my sweatpants and relax with like, you know, maybe like a glass of wine or for me, it's like a ginger ale or something seltzer. So they watch someone else do what they kind of want to do. And that's kind of what Critical Role came around and did. They have this D&D campaign, which again, it's all voice actors who have worked in the business. For me, I grew up hearing Matt Mercer's voice and, and all these a bunch of these guys' voices. Yeah, I'm not familiar even... with a couple of those guys' voices. Like Ashley Johnson, I know. Travis mm-hmm. Willingham, I know. Liam O'Brien, I'm aware of. Laura Bailey, I know, would just had a voice in the, the, the most recent animated Avengers show on Disney XD. It's literally like a star-studded cast of voice actors. They've done some film and TV, but mostly these guys have like made their living in like video games. And if you guys are like gamers uh, like myself, I, I can't say I have the time to really keep up with what's happening in gaming, but I know the realm I grew up in. And Blizzard, before they were Activision Blizzard, was like the, for me personally, my favorite video game company of all time still, regardless of the problems. Um, and uh, basically... They hired all these guys, really. Like, Matt Mercer had voiced so many of these Warcraft characters that are just like, I will never not be able to hear little cues in my head when I complete tasks in my, in my life because of, like, how Warcraft, like, did the jobs done or all that type of stuff, and I would just hear it over and over again. And Matt Mercer was a big part of, like, voicing that. So these guys, I guess, like, in their free time, being voice actors and actors, and this is why I always get so... I have a few actor friends, and until D&D became cool, like I'm talking like six, seven years ago when I started playing, like when it was just starting to get cool, they were like, why are you doing that? That's so lame. That's so nerdy. I'm like, you're an actor. What is wrong with you? You've obviously never given this a chance. It is role playing. Is that not what you do? It is improv. You Oh, so you don't have like 400 bucks to pay for a second city class? Okay, well, you can get a D&D group and get improv practice that way. It's like, I don't understand it. And I reference yeah. second city because we live by New York City and they're they're down there but anyways so it's a really cool sort of like niche market that the uh, critical role really has helped develop and grow which is the Dungeons and Dragons YouTube live streaming Twitch community and they were the first they actually started and if that's what that's what was so hard for me to get into them um i have some friends who have been on the podcast as well for all of our uh, crossover fans here you guys might know the Truly brothers our twins that we uh we've i played D with for my entire D career and they, they had an easier time jumping into critical role because for me it was a lot with like the four hour episodes out of the gates and the problem is one day they just decided to go live in the middle of their live stream like they were in the middle of their campaign so not live stream in the middle of their campaign and so like they did a good job in that initial episode introducing the characters and all that, but you could clearly tell that you'd have to watch a few weeks to like be like, oh, that's that that makes this because it wasn't like an episode zero or one. It was like we're really starting an episode twenty of a campaign that's been going on. These guys just are performers, and they were like, wait, why are we not live streaming? You know, it was like so. It was very, I don't want to say avant garde because I think all D and D is avant garde, but I think it was very by the bootstraps. It was like pioneering. They just one day turned cameras on and didn't think twice about it and learned as they went. And what they were doing was revolutionizing like a whole section of Twitch, which is now like one of the most popular categories, which is the just chatting tab, which is always up there with whatever trend game of the day is being played and and Fortnite. But it's like, (laughs) never thought I'd see that make a comeback. It hasn't really gone away. It's just became like 
even bigger than it was before. I don't know. It's very straight. I was kind of like in, in and out of the Fortnite thing. A bunch of yeah. my friends are playing it now. And I'm like, wait, when did Fortnite make a comeback? You know, Fortnite's like Kanye West. It'll always be popular, but it's not, <laughs> it's not, it's not cool anymore. You know what I mean? But it will always be popular. But it will always be popular. That That's a great analogy right there. That's a tweet, I feel. Anyways, um, with that being said, I still like Kanye. Anyways, um, with that being said, this is what these guys did. They did something new. They did it out of pure passion. Like, if you go back and watch those first few episodes or, or listen on audio forms like I did, it's messy. The audio is not very good. There's not sound cues there's not i mean there is music but they're literally playing like the witcher soundtrack that they got the rights to play because matt mercer has connections like underneath it so they don't get like copyright claims like it's literally uh i guess we need music shit i know this guy at the studio we're about to go live in two hours uh okay like that's how it feels and it's so cool that it feels like that and since then we've had so many spinoffs college humor has an amazing D D um live uh series called d20 um which is amazing it's basically like they take concepts like a high school and their fantasy characters in a fantasy high school and they go through like the trials and tribulations it's almost like freaks and geeks meets D. so there's been so many cool offshoots but only because of the success of critical role now i remember i watched about 20 episodes in which is a lot of hours. That's probably like the first four seasons of Lost length of time, but there's still hundreds of episodes for me to go. But enough to know the characters, and they're so true to how they're being portrayed in this show. It's actually really awesome. And the last thing I'll say before we dive in after this overview is I really think that it is incredible to see like what crowdfunding and you know kickstarting can do in like a positive light because it's not that the show couldn't have been created without you know the crowdfunding and all that i don't think they knew amazon would get involved at that point in time but when they also announced this it was like they just got off this other service called geek and sundry which was where the original i think like 100 plus episodes excuse me 100 plus episodes of critical role can be found it was like their distributor deal at first and they had just gone independent and there was like an air of like oh this has production value now can these guys keep this up on their own with their careers in the daytime can they manage this like side gig and and keep the quality that it is now that it's fully in their hands and there was like this air of like fear i think from the community like ooh, could this be where the titan falls and maybe someone else kind of steps in and picks up some of the slack another show didn't happen still huge they tour they sell out shows like a band would <laughs> you know they travel around the country they sell out people watch them play D on stage for hours it's it's unreal they've done collabs with joe magnello they've done collabs with vin diesel they've done it all colbert um, it's crazy. It's crazy. It's really insane. And the show is just another byproduct of like creative passion, pioneering and finding a way, you know, like creativity finds a way. That's actually nuts. Wow. I, I knew there was like a big long origin story behind this. I didn't realize just how big and long it was. So. Sorry. I didn't mean to make that so long winded. <laughs> no, no, it's good. It, it, like I said, it helps add a lot of context. Like I said, it's just, I'm, I'm constantly looking for other avenues, you know, since, since the movie realm and overall, the, I'm still getting into, you know, the newness of the TV realm. So it's like, I like to look for like other creative, you know, views and avenues outside of like my typical things. And Hey, this is where I'm getting like the stuff that it is that I love. So, Hey, that, that's never a bad thing. So essentially give you guys like essentially what the premise of this show is in order to kind of break that down it's set in the realm of Alexandria, which is the fictional world created by matthew mercer in 2012 and it essentially follows around the original seven characters um you know that being vex and vax the elf twins percy um pike uh grog uh keyleth and scanlan as they essentially take on this quest at least for this first season i don't remember like which specific campaign this was based off of theirs but it's essentially this is based off of the first critical role they uh, it's the first critical role campaign so season 1 technically so even their first it, ever campaign even though it goes on for hundreds of episodes trinkets in the first campaign and what i will say is D&D, matt mercer had such an impact on dungeons and dragons that percy's character the gun wielder dungeons and dragons never had a gun wielder in their campaign Wait, matt really? mercer Matt Mercer did what's called a homebrew. So he created the ability to make guns because I forget the name of the actor who plays, but he really wanted to be a gun wielder. He thought, how cool would that be if my character could be the character who invented guns? The actor's In name the is Talistine Jaffe, I think is how you pronounce that. It's like, it's like one of the strangest names I think I've ever seen. So Matt Mercer literally said to him probably one day, hold my beer. Created this <laughs> class. He knows so much about Dungeons & Dragons. He created this class that now Dungeons & Dragons has adopted the gun wielding class as official canon 
credited from Matt Mercer, who created this thing at home. It's that's unreal, nuts. dude. That's actually fucking nuts. Yeah. So essentially, this entire first season follows them as they attempt to uh, what's it called? As they attempt to take down the Briarwoods, who are essentially set up as the villains for this first two season. That being Lord Silas and uh, what what is her name? I can't find here. Lord Silas and Lady Delilah, as they've taken over Percy's home of of uh, Whitestone and essentially put it under their control. And the seven of them basically have to like kind of overcome their personal differences in order to go to Whitestone and free. And like I said, it's it's another one of those situations like Arcane. I'm gonna bring up Arcane a decent amount throughout the rest of this conversations where the story itself is not exactly something that you've that you haven't seen before again it's very much has all the tropes of the tricks but it's more so again it's about the styling it's about the characters it's about the animation which is jaw-dropping to say the least and it's about again just the fun that you have with it because i think that the, if, if i can give my overall thoughts on the show again like after that incredible lesson that you kind of gave us on that backstory on the campaign for me only thing I knew about this is I'm like, okay, I've played Dungeons and Dragons with Chris a couple times. I understand like the storytelling potential that this offers. Kind of the fact that you're it's essentially literally like you're just sitting down with your friends and essentially just having to improv a story right there. Like that's actually kind of insane to me. And I, I it's something that I kind of always took for granted going back in the day, you know, since when since I saw it like pop up on like, you know, TV shows that I watched. But I, I definitely come to like have a greater appreciation for the stuff, especially since when we tried a couple campaigns with me, you were like, wow, you're a natural. And I'm like, really? I'm like, it's just like, you're just like making up character action. It's really it. But man, <laughs> did I fucking love this show. This, show, Like I said, it just has everything that there is to love about it. You know, it's like, you don't think that like, and again, like, like wow, only in D&D could you get away with this, where I don't necessarily know if like, having like fantasy based creatures while also mixed with like sort of modern day dialogue a few of them have accents a few of them don't you know and also like with like a bunch of modern day humor and a bunch of like crazy uber violence I, it's just a, such a strange meshing of tones overall together but again like i said I, like i said i don't know how i don't know if this was the the fact of how good the original campaign was or just you know what amazon brought to it when they brought it because i also know for a fact that 10 out of these 12 episodes that we just wrapped up were funded by the initial kickstarter campaign in order to do it chris you'd probably know a little bit more about that than me but like man they just reach such a seamless blending of tone like it's kind of insane where you have scanlan cracking sex jokes every three seconds to grog just wanting to literally murder everyone to percy essentially being the batman of the crew and that he's literally only driven by vengeance you know tequila who's a little bit more insecure and kind of dopey and you're like okay what 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 kind of what, what kind of actual use is she gonna have but then she like turns out to potentially be the most powerful one of them like i don't know man like i said like taking out the dnd of it all it's just it's good storytelling. It's good character dynamics. Like, I love a good ensemble cast. You know, part of the reason why I love the Suicide Squad so much is it's like, wow, a movie that actually knows how to make good use of an ensemble cast and give them all a fully fleshed out arcs and actually, like, for as the internet so loves loves to sim oversimplify, give them all something to do, you know? And this show had that and more. Yeah, 100%. I think the characterizations are really true to what I remember watching in the campaign. Um, you know, Scamlin is... He's a he's a scurvy dog. Let's put it that way. Oh, and, it's so um, many words. Yeah, and and he really they played it so accurately and true. And what was really cool is um, Percy's character in the campaign, at least where I was watching, was always looking for his sister, but he never found her. And um, it's really cool. Like, so basically, I believe what they did, having watched about twenty ish episodes, I think what they did was they took these characters that we know and love from the original D&D campaign, Grog feels like Grog, Percy feels like Percy, you know, Scamlin feels like Scamlin, you know, go down the line. They all feel very true and accurate to what I've watched. The twins sort of have that relationship that they have in the TV show. It's really cool. It's adversarial. They push each other to do better. One is like sort of looking out for the other and, and, and vice versa, but they're also going to call each other out on their bullshit and they do in the show and it's really cool and great. And Keyleth is well, just as nuts. And um, it's really very true. I think it's a very true portrayal. But what I like that they did was they kind of realized this is a different medium. This isn't we're sitting down for four and a half hours to play a Dungeons and Dragons campaign after work. Like we got to make these compact 20 minute stories. So what can we take from these characters that works? for for television and what do we need to add to make it further work for television? And I think they did a great job with the adaptation here. Oftentimes, I think video game and sort of gaming based content falls short although i hope we're entering a golden age a la the way and shape of last of us and halo but we'll see we'll see uncharted was yet another flop but the reason i bring those those topics up is because it's really difficult to adapt something that has gaming elements to the tv and film space and so i like that they weren't afraid to sort of retcon a little bit and and understand that the canon of the dnd campaign is separate from the canon of the television show. And if they 
have some similarities, great, because it's the same characters. You know, we're watching Vox Machina as as we would watch Vox Machina on Twitch, same as we would watch them on Amazon Video, but it's a different iteration, and I think that's really cool. It shows that they're willing to be flexible. I think creatives have to be flexible, and I think they have to understand their characters and, and the world that they're working in, and the medium, really, especially when you try to expand and grow your brand. Understanding the medium, look, kind of what we're doing here now, putting our long form on Twitch, having shorter form on YouTube. You need to understand your brand and your audience and what works best for what platform. And I really think that that's what they did here. It was very well done. And the last thing I'll say before I, uh, I turn it over to you is it's just like one of those things where it doesn't make me like one more than the other. It just kind of strengthens my overall fandom of the brand. And I think that's right. really cool. Well, like I said, well, like I've been saying, like I said, there's there's only so much I can offer as far as like kind of the whole video game element discussion. Only because this is like this is not like a video game, like it's a video game property in the sense of like it's completely different. It's not like a big name video game property like Mortal Kombat, like Halo, where even where the the popularity of the brand has become so big that it kind of transcends even the video game argument. Where it's like, yeah, we're getting the Halo show. Yeah, we got Mortal Kombat last year. We're getting Last of Us later on this year on HBO. You know, where those brand names have become so bigger that they've really transcended like even to people like myself who I, I i have made it very clear on this podcast multiple times for anybody new here on twitch you can go back and listen to our entire 120 episodes that we've done before this of our podcast i have made it very explicitly clear i am not a gamer i played a maximum of one video game my entire life that being pokemon and that is it i just i was not allowed to play and by the time i was old enough it just it was never something that really interested me going forward so uh kind of the, the translation let's say of the video game storytelling m- medium to the film medium is always something that's fa- that's fascinating me because for the longest time, like we talked about on our Mortal Kombat episode, it was something that Hollywood just didn't know how to do properly. They just didn't know how to do it because they were constantly trying to, it was like literally, like you said, trying to put a square peg into a round hole. It just, it, it didn't work and they just didn't understand how to properly adapt it. And obviously now in the age of the internet and the age of streaming and everything, now we have a, a lot more crossover in that sense and yet still, you still see them trying to turn like these gigantic, you know, video game properties into like these, you know, into like these, you know, very palatable mass marketed kind of like very bland looking generic things like the, like the Uncharted movie, like the Sonic movie. For me, really, the only one that actually kind of worked is the Detective Pikachu one, because for me, and I feel like we didn't really get a chance to talk about this a whole lot when the movie initially came out. But for me, when the thing that I think made Detective Pikachu work so well is the fact that they understood the source material that they were pulling from, but they were trying to directly adapt and make a Pokemon movie. They had their story that they focused on and they stuck to their guns. And Vox Machina is a little bit interesting because yes, you're right in the sense of where they do stick to their own guns pretty much, but they also, because it is still this, essentially like the same creative, like, like you said, it's the exact same voice cast. Like there's not a single new addition to like that initial voice cast. It's the seven originals and then Matt Mercer as uh, Lord Silas, the villain. And I'm assuming that even though we saw Silas meet his untimely demise at the end of this season. I'm assuming that Matt Mercer will come back for future seasons because I'm assuming he voices an entire litany of characters throughout this campaign. So yeah, Matt Mercer is the the DM, aka Dungeon Master. Um, I know you know that, but maybe some people don't. And that's essentially the character who interacts with the party. So he will play anyone from the shopkeeper to the uh, you know the farmer to the the king and and to the villain in the D and D campaign. I mean, he literally is managing the story, adapting and making decisions on the fly. As if a quarterback, when he steps up to the line, you know, the play is given to him in the huddle. But if he sees that linebacker who's about to come in and clobber him, quarterback has the ability to change the play in that moment to, to make something successful happen and protect himself. And that ability to adapt on the fly is, is what Matt Mercer does. So I was actually really wondering, how are they going to handle him coming into this? Because he could easily be overused because a dungeon master does not stop. And I was actually really happy that we did have some other characters come in, some, some other voice talent come in that was outside of the Critical Role crew probably friends and colleagues of theirs, if I had to guess, although that's not rooted in any research or fact, but it would make sense. Um, and I was really glad that they brought in some extra talent, some, uh, some uh, you know, supporting oh, yeah. I cast. Got the, I got the list right here, and it's a, it's a lot of actors who we recognize. Stephanie Beatriz from Brooklyn Nine-Nine, Carrie Payton, who's had voiceover roles like going back since High Memorial, David Tennant, Endura Varma from Game of Thrones, the voice of Azula herself as Delilah, Greg Griffin, Rory McCann from Game of Thrones, Stephen Rue, Dominic Monaghan, your boy Charlie from Lost, Kelly Hugh. Yeah. Like, they, 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 they I noticed him. They called in their favors, you know. <laughs> I noticed him. That was really cool. Um, yeah. So you don't have Irish accent much. <laughs> it was just one of those things where I was like, okay, they could easily overuse Matt, and it would be very true 
to the tradition of Dungeons and Dragons, where the dungeon master is sort of like the opposing party, the player you're playing against and with, depending on the situation. But we're adapting at the television here, and I think that is part of the challenge, and I think that's the occasion that this show rose to, really, was adapting and being so flexible and understanding, hey, this isn't just, you know, seven of us sitting in a room live streaming on Twitch. This is a little different now. Like this is a this is a series. This is television. So how can we make what we've done that's been so successful fit and hopefully find a new audience? And I think they did it perfectly. They really managed the the talent and the star studded caliber of this cast in a way that I really felt was awesome. Like I never felt that any one character stole a scene over the other. It really felt like a true and earned ensemble. And that's kind of how it feels when you watch the actual critical role. It feels very natural. Like it does feel like you're watching people improv and perform live, but there's such high skill that it never feels like you're watching someone think about what they're doing. It's like you said, you just react, right? When you played D&D, I thought you were so good because you just naturally went in and reacted, you know? It was almost like it came second nature to you. And I think a good performer has that innate ability. And then that's exactly why I think Critical Role, the D&D campaign, has taken off and gotten the legs that it has. And so I was hoping that they would be able to find a way to blend both of the worlds. And I really think they did. It felt improvisational at times, but at times it also felt very scripted and serialized in a way that you want when you're watching a TV medium. And I I couldn't believe the way they meshed both worlds, to be honest with you. Well, it's like you keep saying, good acting is also partially reacting. And it's funny because I've been thinking about this a lot as far as like figuring out. I'm like, okay, I feel like ever since we started with Mortal Kombat, because I know we talked about a few video game things before Mortal Kombat. We talked about Scott Pilgrim a little bit and like kind of how that like was a really good incorporation of more so of video game, like almost techniques and sound effects rather than implementing an actual video game story because that still had its origins in comic books. We obviously know that they've really cracked their bread and butter as far as the comic book adaptation goes in the last decade. You know, just look at what they've done with the Marvel movies. But... (coughs) But what I will say is I think that this show kind of figures out what it is that a lot of other of the of the video game adaptations, even the ones that we praise, we're kind of missing, which is that what I found is that video games, a lot of it is about the is about the journey and the experience of it itself. You're not necessarily looking for the destination, right? Because the whole thing is that in my experience, and again, correct me if I'm wrong, but when you finish a game, there's always kind of the feeling of, okay, it's over, you know, because you can pause the video game whenever you want and just go back to it, you know? And even when you reach like technically like the quote unquote story conclusion in a video game, there's still always like different other problems, like side quests, different other things. You could always restart it. You know, there's other often like other like potentially like bonus quests that you can unlock, stuff like that. Like I know, for example, for my experience, whenever I finish a Pokemon game, there's the natural end of the story, but then you can keep going, you can keep training, you can keep, you know, fighting other people, whatever, whatever. And that's kind of the allure and the charm of video games. And that, to me, is kind of inherently what it is that makes it so has made it so difficult to adapt to movies and TV shows. Because at the end of the day, what I find is a thing that makes movies and TV shows work so well, and a thing recently that a lot of creators have been missing that kind of drags it down, is that it's all about the destination. You know, the journey is good, it's tantamount, but if you don't hit that destination, if you don't hit that great final moment, it can kind of make the rest of it feel like a giant waste of time, you know? Because it's not like a video game where it's you yourself are kind of partaking in part of the entertainment experience. It's you are entirely surrendering yourself to somebody else's story, somebody else's visual experience, you know? And that can, you know, that can oftentimes leave you feeling jipped, considering the fact that you feel like you don't really have that part of that, that much of like a, um, of a hand in it, let's say, you know? And so the fact that they kind of walk that really fine tightrope line as far as, wow, getting you into this world, you know, making you feel you were on this journey and then nailing the destination as well and making you realize oh okay so this is going to be an ongoing story but at the end of the day you know i did feel like i got a story you know if i can do one one comparison to something that i feel you know that i feel i'm more licensed to speak on which again you know don't worry everybody who knows us knows that even though we're not the biggest fans we're not the biggest like kind of diehard fans we know it kind of finds a way to seek itself into all the conversation which is the marvel movies you know the marvel movies to me and kind of what made that first infinity saga work as opposed to these new movies now which is that these the infinity saga at the very least at the end of the day felt like a journey with and open with a beginning, middle, and end. Started with Iron Man. You had your midpoint around like the second Avenger Civil War, and then it ended with Endgame. And that felt like a definitive ending, you know? And all the movies now, it feels like, oh, okay, now we're just trying to capitalize on just throwing as much in the screen, as much references, as much Easter eggs as possible without any real clear destination, you know? And I feel like that's kind of the biggest difference there, you know? And I think obviously, you know, Marvel kind of gets away with it because they are the most popular brand. They because all the audience members feel that they can have an active contribution in it. It's just really kind of strange synergy that they pull off but that to me is kind of like what has made video game 
And, you know, this different type of, like, role-playing adaptation is so difficult to adapt in the past versus, and it's something that they're, I think they're really making strides with now in a way that they have not been able to before. Yeah, I totally, I totally agree with all of that. I think it makes sense. I think it's an interesting perspective you offer not being a gamer. And I think it's time to sort of move into yes. um, another topic here. So before we do that, guys, please hit the follow button here on Twitch. That'd be greatly appreciated. If you're listening anywhere else on audio, whatever platform you're on, hit the subscribe, like, comment, whatever feature you have to interact with, whether that be Apple, Spotify, Amazon, Stitcher, who cares? Just we, we thank you for listening and we hope you interact, leave a review, five stars, preferably all that good stuff. And of course, go over to our YouTube channel, hit that subscribe button. Turn that bell on for notifications and hit like on whatever video you end up watching. It would greatly help us and we would really appreciate it. So with that being said, the next topic we have here is the animation department of yes. Amazon. Um, stunning, stellar, incredible. Yeah. Those are the words I would use off the, yeah. out of the gates. Well, it, I brought it, that up just because as far as like, um, you know, kind of the other half, you know, we've spent a decent amount of time talking about the critical role in the Kickstarter part of it. But we have to talk about the other half, of course, which is the Amazon part of it. You know, Amazon brought this. Let, let me check the development right here. Yeah. So Amazon bought this out in let me see in November of 2019 Amazon announced that they were acquiring the streaming rights they commissioned 14 additional episodes with two two additional episodes for season one and a second season of 12 episodes obviously the cast went on to say that it gave them obviously a lot more freedom you know and I, uh, so again, that explains the first two episodes yeah definitely definitely because <laughs> those two Which episodes say... really do feel like a pilot of themselves before they actually like get to like the real plot of the rest of the season which I would say felt like an episode zero, which is a very yes. much so a D and D thing, and which I would say is the only flaw of the of of this series, because the whole Whitestone storyline is so compelling, and this whole thing with the dragon is cool, but it just felt it was really a random. weird. It was really weird and random and high tide. I'm like, okay, so we we got a shape shifting dragon here that can turn into a human, but is also evil. Okay, like I, I definitely have a feeling that like the whole role that dragons are gonna have in this world is really interesting and like is. I hate knowing as much about the process that as we do sometimes. Yeah, 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 yeah. I get <laughs> it, I get it. But yeah, so I, I think what's really interesting here is, again, it's another thing where, again, Amazon only handles the distribution rights for this. They didn't handle the production of this. And I think that's really awesome because, again, these animation departments, you have, um, you know, this animated with Tight Mouse Inc. Um, and other animation rendering by South Korea's production, Reeve. Um, it's called. And even one of the voice actors, Travis Willingham, the voice actor who voiced Grog, told Inverse that it took outside of perspectives to make the stories they told in tabletop comprehensible for newcomers and fresh for existing fans. And he said that the Briarwood arc was originally around 35 hours, and we had to squish that down into about six. And I gotta say, they really freaking handled it. They handled it really well. And, like, I love... You know, because like, we've been talking about these streamers for the better part of like a year and a half now, just roughly as far as, you know, the streaming wars. Now that Netflix finally has some competition for like the first time in like, you know, the, the first five years when they were just running the gamut on, you know, dominated. And then Amazon finally seemed to make a little bit of waves with the boys. And we're like, oh, my God, an Amazon show like Amazon have been putting out content for like a couple of years by that point. But they're like, wow, an Amazon show that like actually people like us are talking about, you know, and then Invincible came out. I'm like, oh, it's OK. So Amazon might have legs here, you know, then they obviously bought out the expanse. But now they, they're continuing it with this. And I'm like, OK, like this is why I still have the prime video subscription, you know, like th th this makes my dollars worth it, because even though. I'm not getting constant content flooded in my face all the time. When they put out something like this, it shows, you know, like, and the fact that, like, they had enough confidence in these creators, again, they're Amazon. They, they don't have to buy this stuff. They don't have to do anything if they don't want. Jeff Bezos is literally building rocket ships. You know, he doesn't really care about this kind of stuff. But I love it when these streamers. <laughs> well, he does, like, though. <laughs> clearly. Because he literally um, bought the expanse. Because to it's not let show. it die. That's true. That's true. That's he actually true. does like his taste in TV is questionable. Not that it's, The Expanse is a bad show, but how is that your favorite show of all time? But like he does. Crazy. I, I mean, that's a whole separate <laughs> podcast right there. But yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. It's just, I love it. Shout when out streamers, Sujit. Yeah, I love it when these streamers can take like these like little not off brand, but like kind of like these niche things and then blow them up to overall popularity. And they actually do exactly what it seems like Star Wars was not doing for the better part of the year, which is actually trusting the people who know what they're doing creative wise. And what do you know? It's fucking incredible, you know, well, because it's almost like these guys know the material so well that they know how to properly translate that to a mainstream audience. I mean, I don't know. You take it from there. So I love what you're saying. To me, that's how my brain processes it all, and that's how it makes sense to me. And you would think that we wouldn't be in the minority on that one. But what if think? I told you, what if I told you that oh, the Book man. of Boba Fett numbers, by and large from episode to episode, not only were larger than Mandalorian Season 2, which was bigger than Season 1, but the finale I hate I hate is the right largest now. Star Wars of all the Disney Plus series viewed finales to date. 
Look, man, I'm no, we're not talking about Disney Plus here, all right? Because the, the, those numbers are all already skewed to begin I, with, you know, because of the I brand think... power of it. We're talking about Amazon, which is which actually knows how to garner quality TV. No, I know. I just think it's important since we're, we're, we're this is our pilot episode here on Twitch to let them into our thought process, which I think is a very sensible one. Yet, for some reason, this common sense that we speak does not seem to be emulated by the rest really of the doesn't. world. It really doesn't. I can't explain it. I really can't. Anyways, back to back to Vox Machina. We digress, but it's all in good fun. I, th- with the Amazon animation department, specifically with this show, and, and now that I think about it, though, um, my example coming into tonight, what or this morning, what I planned to say was specifically only exclusive to Vox Machina, but now that I think about it, of course it extends itself to Invincible. Watching these Amazon animated shows makes me feel like I'm watching Saturday morning cartoons again, but only for adults. Only for adults. It's awesome. perfect. I don't know how they did it. I don't know how they did it, but I'm like, how is this capture? It's I'm like, how how well of an understanding of your audience do you have? To, and again, I give all the credit in the world to these animation departments for taking all the stuff that we loved about all those Cartoon Network shows that we watched growing up, you know, Kids Next Door, Ed, Ed and Eddie, Justice but, League. Ben but I'm talking about the WB11 on Saturday morning. Those two, yeah. Like, did you watch that? Like, Cubics well, give me, give me and examples. Woody Woodpecker and, like, the... um original original teen titans run like the original did you watch teen titans, all that yes, but, but all that stuff i watched on cartoon network that's the thing like on okay. the rerun, See, i was know? a saturday morning and this might be a little bit of the age gap here huh i was that a was saturday morning not that much yeah i mean i woke up every saturday morning and watched saturday morning cartoons there you go. I, I lived for it for a little I mean, while. But, but like I said, with me, it, it was DVR, and it was pretty much like only exclusively like whatever was running on the Cartoon Network block from between like 2008 and 2010. So see, that's the difference. That's the yeah, difference. Yeah, and Pokemon was fair. Saturday morning. All the new. Yeah, okay, episodes. I did catch my Pokemon um, run. I said for me, it was more so the Diamond and Pearl run for me. And and I think it's the animation style, which harkens back a bit to that early 2000s, kind of still in the 90s, but like technology has taken a huge leap type of feel. But it's also like the way that there really is no fat like i felt like they were keeping the story flashing moving almost like watching someone on youtube like they cut every five seconds the edits quick 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 so you don't lose your attention but then there was a maturity behind the storytelling that was for adults whereas in saturday morning cartoons it's for little kids so like you know the humor is a little more little kitty and and the storytelling isn't as deep but this one there is actually some pretty deep narrative threads that kind of keep you going and keep you invested there's emotional rises and falls you know it has everything you want really but it's like edited and cut so tightly and also the the stylisms just felt very retro but in a refreshing way because it's doing what i think good film and tv do it's it's understanding the medium they're working within and and paying homage to it, but like offering something new, building on top of what came before them that makes it so great. So it's kind of like, you know, any good director will bring their influences into their story, but it's what you do on top of it to further in the relay race that is filmmaking, as we've been speaking about. It's what you do to further carry the torch forward, which is what I think the show did. It, it kind of reinvented a genre that I think me as an audience member, the ideal audience member for the show, honestly, I kind of I, like I see that. Oh, okay, yeah. These these they're 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 pulling on all different aspects of what I like as like an animation consumer. Because um, because I I do think this is um, a kind of a, t- a type of animation that's until Amazon came around has kind of been going by the wayside. Yeah, um, a little bit. Like like old school american smash em up action kitty but funny clever witty animation it's kind of become a bit antiquated in a weird way and i like how amazon's reviving it you know right Uh, yeah i agree yeah amazon and like you see this on a little bit more of the streamers like i said i haven't been keeping up with the cartoon network shows that have come out recently but from what i've heard that they've been doing some really no i'm I'm telling you i'm like really yeah i've been heard i've only heard bad things really interesting (laughs) stuff you know like i said you know obviously adventure time and regular show they have their fans i can never get into it but i was always appreciative of kind of like again like the difference you know the difference and how they change it up obviously we know that all those animators are on every drug imaginable which is why they can come up with such 
creative stories. But like, I just I love what they're doing. It's, it's essentially how and, and like I love how you brought up like the mature point where it's like I don't know, man. The fact that you could have Scanlan making literally every sex joke in the book. Like he, he came up with some jokes that I'm like, damn, I didn't even know that you could come up with something like that. Or the fact that you have Grog like literally whipping off his pants, just <laughs> dive into a vat of acid. Like I'm like, how do they do this? Like how do they pull this off? I don't understand. I'm like, how are they taking everything it is that I loved as a kid and translating it so perfectly to me now where I am in my life in 24 years of age? I'm like, are these creators reading my mind? It's weird. They need to stop. But at the same time, they can't because I love it so much what we're getting. Yeah, no, I mean, obviously the humor is it's very adult, but also it plays like a Saturday morning cartoon would with the cues and, and how the moments develop and happen. The pacing really, I think, is like what's responsible for that feeling for me. You know, the way each episode is sort of laid out when they choose to cut the tension always feels like the right moment, but it also feels like the moments I remember as a kid and being like, right. that's so ridiculous. That's why I'm laughing. Like, why would they do this now of all times? Right. It's so right. ridiculous. It just, but the other thing too, is that it also helps flesh out like the more emotional, like dark and pat, you know, pat more pathos related moments where it's like, wow, we like, we get, we get some pretty dark moments. And it's not just like invincible where it's like all the deaths are done for either shock value or like kind of for humor, you know, like we get like some of those moments where it's like, Oh wow. Like where we see like these moments of extreme violence and we actually feel it. It's not just done for like shock value sake you know like obviously we get the blood like and the crazy amounts of blood every three seconds but like there are certain times like when percy is possessed by that revenge demon whatever it is and he's killing all the people who wronged him on that gun mm -hmm. it's like it feels scary and like traumatic you know and i'm like how do, how do they do this you know and like there are certain moments where it's like you know certain characters I, I think they do this very clever thing where it's like you know at the end of the day that like no member of this campaign is gonna end up dying but they make you think that they're gonna die like a couple times with keyleth and with grog and like it's like and they managed to do this very tightrope act of doing that and so much of the time you know whatever that happens in like a Marvel thing, it would be accused of like not sticking to their guns and not like really carrying it through. But this time, it's like no, you 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 feel the deaths here, and you've been like, and it's it's pretty dramatic when it happens. Well, Dom, what I will say in Critical Role, no one's safe. But anyways, oh okay, um, okay, okay, okay. I see what but, you're doing here. What I will say is, as well, you're right. The filmmaking, while it was silly and it did give me a Saturday morning cartoon feel, it also had a maturity that I thought was incredible. There's a few shots that really come to mind, one on the more serious side and one on the more comical side. On the more serious side of things, and, and they both come from that last episode, um, which, which left a, a huge impact on me. Yes. I want more instantly, and I think instantly. that's a good feeling. It was just like arcane. I'm like, give me the second season right now. I don't want to wait. Mm. I have to wait another year, two years for this shit. Give me this shit right now. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree. I couldn't agree more. And what I'll say is that that, that one shot where it's Keyleth and Vex, and they're having that conversation. He's like, you know, I meant what I said when I said I loved you, and she's like, I know, but like this this path won't work for both of us. I, those that's me paraphrasing. And then it kind of like. He walks away all awkwardly and we awk awkwardly and we pan out thinking that the shot will fade or cut to something else. And it shows uh, it shows uh, Vex. Sorry, I said Vex. I meant Vax. It shows Vex sitting up on the tree watching, being like, oh, brother, I tried to warn you, but sometimes you have to make your own mistakes. And then it cuts to her and the shot continues to move all in one fluid motion. Very very cinematic, very expert filmmaking. And then she walks down the tree. We follow her, pan down to the town leaders who she's turning it over to. And she says something like the hero would say, like, are you going to be all right? You guys have this from here. And then it's like the whole passing of the torch. The heroes are moving on to season two. But it was just like such a cool moment that was so mature. And I was like, wow. Like, I did not expect a shot like that from a show like this. And then the second moment, that was very cinematic as well while while playing more to the comical side but being more mature and adult in its filmmaking was when Scanlan just decides to throw the gun in the vat of acid oh, that was great and, that was awesome and so the demon good. pops out because the filmmaking is so know, subtle like you really need to pay attention to the frames on this there was multiple times in throughout this series where like the smoke would come in and you oh they didn't kill the demon it's still in that gun they better get rid of that gun and they do the trope they do the trope where oh is the demon going to come back in season two yeah. it's pretty easy to write that like that's super easy but then Scanlan just happens to throw it in I the vat of acid and says screw that we're not doing that trope so i loved that i yeah, loved it was really good. and my favorite moment of course when the, the the guards are playing dungeons and dragons 
and was great. Scanlon Ow, that was in. fucking great. I almost peed <laughs> myself laughing. I, that whole moment when Scanlon is going to burn down the house, that, that might be like, and that's episode of the year for material for right? me. Right? I mean, oh, dude, so is good. this not competing for your your series of the year, dude, minus it, the first it, two episodes? Dude, dude, it's this and Peacemaker for, for right. uh, that are already locked for my, for my best of the year. Like, no question. you know question. what? I would say Peacemaker only because those first two episodes really felt like they were ordered. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I like the first two. I like the first two. They were good as far as the establishment goes, but they in hindsight, especially with everything that we got after the fact, I'm like, yeah, they really felt like they were ordered. But real it should have been like an OVO or a, a really should have. Uh, like I'm like, what was that? Like, well, like I've seen bad pilots before, but I'm like, Jesus, what are you doing? The only other thing that I really want to talk about before we wrap this up is I want to talk about the release strategy because I think that's just as important. But real quick before we move on to that. Do you have a favorite character from this set? I love doing this, but like I said, this is kind of a new property for both of us, and I wanted to see if you have a favorite character like from that or if you just love all of them equally. Because like I love each of these characters. Like I, I think they're all so fleshed out. I think they're all like have their like the fact that they all have their individual quirks, their personalities, their tragic backstories. You know, we found that a few of them here, but I have a feeling that we're gonna find out even more of them as we go on. And I hope this show gets the proper run that it deserves and it doesn't only get shortchanged with only like two or three seasons, because this deserves like us, like what we're trying to do. I think this deserves a full 12 seasons. I think they they have more than enough material to do it based off of, just based off what you told me. But I don't know. Do you have a favorite character of this batch? Yeah, I do. Um, it's the archetype that I typically end up taking on when I play. I know you've only seen me as the stern and serious dungeon master, but when, I, when I'm when a player in a campaign, I tend to play a gnome who's a bard. And Let's a go! Let's and, fucking uh, go! Yeah, Scanlan. I, oh, I love that. He's I love the that. Best. He's the fucking best. I'm like, how do you make a character like this work in a setting like this? Because this character, by all rights, should have been either dead within the first, like, five minutes or should have been just, like, again, just an obnoxious joke character that they, like, easily kill off. And they make it work, like, every time. Like, I, how? And, how do and, they make and, that work? And he is the most... Him and Grog, really, are, like, the most honest of all the honest portrayals from, from campaign to screen. That's a weird sentence. <laughs> but I kind of like saying it. But from it's campaign good, to right? screen... Pretty good. Um, he just nailed it, man. Oh, they man. nailed every it. Every single, they're beat, all like, great. I mean, this is like never missed a beat. Like every five seconds, everyone's taking shots at him too, and he just takes him and carries him in stride. But he also like carries like the more insecure side. Like he's not all show. Like the fa- how we're introduced to him. Can I say one last thing too? Yes, of course. There's a few different things that D and D fans will get from this show. So Pike, did you notice how she'll put her hand on someone and she'll heal? Yes. That's a D&D spell called Lay on Hands. And and when Grog charges in to that um, scene where they're fighting all of uh, the um, the zombies in the crypt, yeah. that's that's called uh, it's called Rage, which is a barbarian move. And like it's like a charge move. And, and there's so many like Hunter's Mark, which is something that when Scamlin put the purple aura around Vex and she's about to take that shot and she doesn't miss that shot, that's because it adds a bonus to it. And they didn't say the, the they didn't right. say, they, oh, they I'm going to cast this spell. To. But it was they like, yes. to. that's the thing. It just it, because every because they are they, they know the material so well. That they know that every D&D player is going to know exactly what those moves are. But they know that if they over explain it, they're going to lose their mainstream audience. And it's like. This is the type of stuff that we talk about when we talk about like understanding your source material and understanding your story that it seems like so many other people in both the movie and the TV space, I would add, just do not seem to understand. It's it's amazing how they pulled this off. So the last topic that I want to bring up is Amazon's release strategy because like every new streaming show, it seems like we always have to talk about the release strategy because it really seems like all the streamers are changing up their release strategy, you know? And, you know, dropping the three at once and then dropping the rest throughout, you know, the next couple of weeks, you know? Dropping it in like batches, you know, like HBO Max, you know, not the HBO stuff, but the HBO Max stuff is experimenting around with like dropping it like batches at a time and this seems to be like the first time that amazon has really done this where amazon did if i'm not mistaken the first they did the the original strategy that they did with the boys season two for invincible where they did the first three episodes once then they did the next five or the next couple of weeks but this one they did something really interesting here where they dropped it in batches of three which i think is something new that i don't think i've seen before that they've implemented you know like i said all of these new, all the streamers are implementing, you know, we saw Netflix implement that with Arcane. Interestingly enough, um, there's another show that's coming out. Obviously, you know, Netflix, a lot of the shows that are coming out are now splitting up their shows into bats of two. Ozark is in two parts. Stranger Things, this new upcoming season, is in two parts. Better Call Saul is in two parts, you know. Atlanta's releasing two seasons within this one calendar year, you know. So I, don't, I was just wondering if you had any insight into that because this is the second thing that's kind of based off of like a role-playing sense thing. I know League of Legends is a lot different from Critical Role, but this is the second thing that we've seen within a short period of time that releases it in like these batches of certain three episodes. I was just wondering if you had like any potential insight into that because it's a, we all know that in this space there are no such thing as coincidences. So Yeah, it's all competition. Um, 
between these streaming services. It's all dictated by dollar amounts and view counts, as as you know, and I'm sure our audience, they're intelligent people. They could easily figure that out. I think for the first time in, in Netflix's history, um, they're not in the green. That still hasn't happened, but they are in the defensive, right? Um, which is really interesting to see. It's sort of something that, I don't know, people could have predicted that would have happened but it was also like one of those things where how could it happen at the same time and i think it's good that they are because i think they have some shows that deserve a little more life that don't necessarily get some of the wingspan that they deserve like uh, they just filter out and teether out like i think the witcher would be way more of a a smash hit if if it was distributed one episode a week you know because that's the kind of show that i don't want to sit down and binge it's taking me almost a month to watch because i still haven't watched past episode four of season two it's it's you kind of want to take it all in you know Uh, and so i think having one set way to go about things isn't how you should conduct a business i think you need to be flexible it's like each product deserves its own unique treatment if you want it to be successful and i think we're kind of starting to see that i think i could have gotten this show all at once and i i would have binged it in a weekend but i think i enjoyed it more having that like oh it's friday i cannot wait for more vox machina that's a fun feeling yeah you know it it, is I'm listening back to this podcast that I love where it was airing during when Lost was airing. They started in season three and and it's so much fun to hear them wait week to week to see what's going to happen next. And I totally can resonate with that. I'm I'm seeing that kind of right now with mine and Professor Pat's uh, talking Thrones pod a side podcast that we have as well, where it's like so much of the time I would just binge Game of Thrones all at once that I kind of missed the week to week release, like when I started watching it back in season four, where I would have to wait week to week, and it was just a way to make it that much more special. And I love that the streamers have kind of brought that model back and made it work for them. You know, when Netflix was kind of doing the whole dropping it all at once thing at once, because as Bill Simmons talked about, it's like when Netflix started that, they were kind of like, they were revolutionary. It was completely unseen before. They were kind of ahead of the curve. But as time went on, it was like, it kind of made it really difficult for a lot of the news outlets and a lot of like kind of, you know, the online discussion that helped prop up these shows so much because it was here today and then gone tomorrow as more things would just drop all at once. So the fact that the streamers have kind of taken this release strategy kind of made it a little bit original to themselves. You know, they don't always follow the, you know, the wholly original HBO thing of just dropping their episode one week at a time. They experiment around a little bit, but they've made it all work for themselves. And I think it personally just works better overall for their viewing audience as well. It lets them, you know, digest them a little bit. It helps them, you know, give them something to look forward to. It helps the news outlets, you know, give them something to write on, you know. To me, the only one that has made it not work is Disney+, Plus, but that's just because for me, it's just, you know, poor writing and poor content curation in general. But that's a different discussion for a different day. But I love that Amazon kind of took this release strategy on because it just made me watch watching the episodes in Bats of Three. And I wouldn't watch them on Fridays because I would be too busy on Fridays, but on Saturday mornings, you know, kind of bring it back that feel. It would just, it would just make it so much more special and so much more fun, you know? So I, just, I love that they're t- kind of taking on that release strategy, you know? And I, and I can't wait to see how that's going to impact it going forward. And I can't wait to see what happens when we get season two. I'm hoping that we get season two. Hopefully we don't have to wait like two, three years for it because, man, this show was so much fun. It's so good. Like, I want season two like yesterday, you know? Yeah, a hundred, a hundred percent, man. But here's the thing: I, I, I think, don't stray the course. Just keep yeah. doing what you're doing. We have, we're in a very special time right now. I feel with television, um, it's it's really become the premier place for the highest caliber of content that's put on film, and um, I don't really want anyone creatively to change anything they're doing. You know, the studios will change the release plans, marketing campaigns and strategies will come and go as new technologies come out, new social medias are adapted or were cut from the, you know, promotional stream. That's fine and all. Don't change what you're doing. You know, like, I think it's awesome where we're at. And um, it's crazy. It's crazy, like, just to think about how these arcanes and, you know, invincibles and vox machinas they, I don't, I don't know. I just, where'd they come from? We're in a great time. I don't know where time. they come from, but look, if, if they can keep pumping out this type of quality animation, number one, not only does it lend credence to my argument that animation is the greatest storytelling format that there is, but also it just it, it just makes me so happy where it's like, wow, the thing that I love more than anything else, the thing that really got me into movies in the first place, animation has kind of evolved into this whole new format and that can present us with all these kind of new ambitious stories that just the live action movies are just kind of too scared to pursue. So that's what I get from it overall. So final ratings and reviews. Yeah, man, this is, um, it's like a 4.5 star season Thanks. out of five for our Twitch audience, just so they know how we do things. It's, it's really, 
those first two episodes were awesome, but yeah. I would have loved those to have been, hey, here's a sneak peek of a show we have coming out in a few months. Episode zero, like a true yes. D&D campaign does. Yes, yes, I agree with that. That would have been awesome. Because just to attach them to the overall season is what stops this from being a five-star season. Yes, I agree wholeheartedly. Because without those first two episodes, this is a five-star season. Like, it has all of the all the drama, all the comedy, all the heart, all the fun that you would expect from the original campaign. Also adapted to where a modern audience and a non-Dungeons & Dragons or a non-video game player like myself could actually like get something from it. So, that's it. That's our review of the first season of The Legend of Vox Machina. We hope you guys continue to join us on Twitch every Sunday morning as we continue to put these streams out. Also, be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel, Talking TV on YouTube. Go over there. We've got so much content that we put out over the last couple of years now. We've got so much more content that we've got coming out your guys' way. We do reactions. We do top 10 lists. We do shorts. We're still trying to experiment around with a couple of new different types of content that we could put out. Be sure to go over there and click the subscribe button and click the like button and click the bell. That way you guys get notified every time we put up new content. Be sure to follow myself at Movie Nerd Reviews across all platforms. Be sure to follow my partner, Chris, at Christian Ivanko across all platforms. And of course, follow the main podcast across all social media platforms at Official Talking TV Podcast across Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. We are on Twitter now, retweeting constantly. There's so much movie news that is dropped in Twitter. It's just the easiest way to keep track of it. So go and follow us there if you can. And like I said, be sure to leave us a follow on Twitch, our newest thing that we have just added to our litany of places where we're at. And I'm going to give you guys a sign-off again. It's so funny because I've been doing this sign-off for so many years now that it's kind of become second nature to me. But for everyone that is new to joining us on Twitch, I only have one message that I like to give the talking TV audience. They've known it for years, which is always to watch more fucking movies. We'll see you guys next time.